It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Well, it is basketball season, and Bubba, we just, uh, it's hard to believe, uh, just a short time ago, we uh, had a game with SMU, and here we are again. Yeah, the Pirates and Mustangs met just a week and a half ago at Williams Arena Menchie's Coliseum. Uh, what a thriller that was, and now we're very excited to preview Wednesday night's matchup with the play-by-play voice of the Mustangs, Rich Phillips. Rich, welcome in. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much, Rich, for coming on, and uh, certainly very excited about American basketball, in this case, uh, East Carolina, SMU, and then down in uh, Dallas. A very big game. Uh, Hard to believe uh, that game was such a neck-and-neck game. Uh, Certainly, I thought uh, SMU would be a little bit, uh, I was coming into that game, I thought it would be maybe a 10, 15-point win by the Mustangs, a very tight game, and Almost, you could say, uh, a last-second shot, 2.7 seconds with a freshman hitting that shot. It was when Newton hard to believe. And uh, how have the Mustangs been after that game? Well, after that, they had another road game with another tough loss at Houston last week, but then right. uh, came home on Saturday night and had a nice uh, comeback from down 11 in the first half to beat Temple. And kind of uh, it's what we're seeing a lot of right now in the American is that the home team has a huge advantage right now. I, I checked into it the other day. There had been 31 games, league games played as of the start of this week, and 21 of them had been won by the home team this season. So the home team has been having a huge advantage so far in the league. No question about it there, Rich. I wanted to ask you as far as uh, with the Mustangs and the Pirates, what do you see the uh, storylines being uh, for uh, Wednesday night's game in Dallas? Well, the first thing is SMU is going to have to to shoot better. They uh, they did shoot better in their win Saturday against Temple, but it's been uh, a little bit up and down. Especially the three point shooting for SMU this season has been uh, pretty erratic at times. It's uh, something that they try to not I don't want to say live and die on, but they de- they definitely are a heavy three point shooting team. And uh, in that game uh, at East Carolina a couple weeks ago, Isaiah Mike made five out of nine, and the rest of the team made three three-point shots in the entire game. So they need to have better three-point shooting, and then they need to be better on the defensive end, They, uh, especially in the second half. Of course, Jaden Gardner does it to everybody, but <laughs> they held him down in the first half. They didn't in the second half, and the second half shooting was about 50%, I think, too, for East Carolina. So they've got to pick it up on the defensive end because uh, since Tim Jankovic has been coach here, uh, this is fourth season now, SMU 51-3 and when they hold an opponent below 40% shooting for the game. They were unable to do that against East Carolina, so obviously that will be a huge factor for them on Wednesday night. Yeah, Rich, you actually read my mind. I was going to talk about that tremendous performance that Isaiah Mike had. Uh, so versatile at six eight, stepped out and knocked down those five threes, like you said, 21 points, five rebounds in that game. I know in that uh, the big win you guys had over Temple, 68-52, where you actually trailed at halftime and then um, really turned it on in the second half. Tyson Jolly um, at six four had 14 rebounds and also 25 points. Yeah, for Tyson, too, that was uh, badly needed. Uh, Going into the game on Saturday against Temple in the previous three games, he had shot 7 of 33 from the floor, 
and then he missed his first four shots in the game Saturday night and followed it up by making nine out of ten. He had a career-high 25 points and the 14 rebounds. And uh, I know you mentioned he's at six foot four. He is a surprisingly strong rebounder at six foot four, better than six rebounds per game. He's a, he's a really strong player down low when he gets in there and is willing to fight for the rebounds. Uh, they need him to have that second-half performance that he had against Temple to kind of return as his full game. He, he has been one of the top scorers this year, but had hit a little slump before Saturday night. And something else, um, Joe Dooley mentioned it prior to the, the first meeting a week and a half ago, and that's just the versatility of this team, um, uh, so much flexibility, and in addition to Tyson Jolly having that double-double and illustration of that versatility, you had Isaiah Mike with 12 and 10, you had uh, Fran Hunt with 10 and 8, and then you had also um, Kendrick Davis with 10 and 9, so you almost had four guys with double-doubles. Yeah, and and that's kind of been the way it's been for them. They've got four those four guys you just mentioned all average double digit scoring. Uh, three of them can get you double digit rebounds. And Kendrick Davis, his nine his nine was assists. He, he almost had the double double with assist. He's kind of been the real difference for this team. Uh, Davis has he, he transferred after a year at TCU and actually missed the first four games of the season. Still waiting on his waiver to be approved by the NCAA. Now that it has, now that he's got thirteen games played he's able to qualify in the national rankings and he's eighth in the country in assists per game at 7.2 so definitely he's been a big uh, difference maker for the offense since Kendrick's come along so uh, like you mentioned as, as far as coach Jankovic what's the the mood there with the fan base um kind of shifting gears to, to that I mean obviously very good so far this year but I know the last couple years have been a disappointment um but um how are things going there as far as, as uh, how the Mustang Nation, if you will, is feeling about Coach Jankovic? You know, obviously they they certainly want to see SCB return to the postseason. Uh, his first year when he took over after Larry Brown stepped away in the summer before the season started, the, they went 30-5 and five that year, had a, a fabulous season, went to the NCAA tournament, but have missed out on the postseason the last two years. Some of that's been because of the NCAA sanctions that were uh, levied on the program while Coach Brown was here. Uh, they had a one-year postseason ban, but they had three years of scholarship reductions. And so just frankly, with the reductions in scholarships, some injuries to guys, they just didn't have many bodies the last couple of years. This year, finally up to full scholarship level. I've got a lot of guys healthy, too, that have been playing. His rotation's been eight, nine, even ten deep at times. And so certainly it's helped them this year uh, in the first, uh, what, 17 games they've played this season with 13 wins. But definitely return to the postseason is something that's high on the list, uh, not just for the fans either, for the coach, too, I think. I know the the atmosphere there, I, I believe I saw for the Temple game, you had right around 4,700. Uh, and I know, I, I guess it's it's been longer than um, folks realize, but um, some major innovations to the to Moody Coliseum here just a few years ago. So tell folks about the atmosphere there at Moody. You know, it's uh, about a 7,000-seat building since they did the renovations. I want to say it was in 2013-14 when we went back into the building when it was renovated. Uh, originally, it opened back in 1956. But the thing about it is it still 
has such a low ceiling that it doesn't take the packed house to make it a very loud and raucous environment. Obviously, we'd love to get back there where we were a few years ago, but it uh, can be a pretty loud place. It certainly got that way in the second half against Temple on Saturday night. And uh, obviously, too, now that the students are back in, uh, you know, over the holidays, you kind of miss those students that are sitting right behind the scorer's table and right behind the benches. So they were back last weekend and expect a good student crowd here on Wednesday night for East Carolina. Um, kind of looking at the American at large, um, what are your thoughts on how um, things have gone up to this point? You obviously have Wichita State and Memphis that stand out. You have Cincinnati. They really seem to be finding themselves under first-year head coach John Brannon. Um, you have Houston. Obviously, Kelvin Sampson's done a tremendous job there, and they just picked up a huge win at Wichita State. It's so difficult to do. So um, what are your thoughts around the league? You didn't even name one of the other first-place teams, Tulsa. Tulsa, Tulsa, 4-1, yeah. I think they've surprised all of us. I think a lot has been surprising here in the league. I mean, you're only five or a couple teams, maybe six games into the schedule, and you don't have anybody undefeated in league play, and you don't have anybody who's winless in league play either. I think that says a lot about it. And SMU's sitting here at 3-2 and and kind of bemoaning the two losses on the road, but that has them only one game out of first place. I I think it is wide open right now. Obviously, we all expect that Memphis is maybe the class of the league, given the recruiting class they had, uh, and, and Wichita's right there with them, but Wichita goes out and loses two last week, so it's been a pretty crazy couple weeks to the uh, to start the season. You know, the one loss for Houston was at Tulsa, and, and again, I just they've been the one that has surprised me the most, but you can't even overlook anybody. Tulane certainly has made huge strides from where they were last year, and and I was really impressed at East Carolina a couple of weeks ago. You know, they have made so many changes to that roster around the one key piece, obviously, in Gardner that uh, vastly improved, too. It's a, it's a tough league right now, and teams are going to keep beating each other, I think. Yeah, and that's an excellent point regarding what Ron Hunter's doing at Tulane. I know they struggled the last couple times out uh, against UCF, and I'm trying to remember the most recent Tulsa, actually. But, yeah. um but. But yeah, Ron Hunter's a heck of a coach, did so well at Georgia State, and I'm just um, very interested to see how he does long-term there in New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, gosh, they won four games last season, four. So right. <laughs> that is a massive step forward just from just to get the ten wins, which I think they're there or just about there. That, that's been a huge step forward for them. Yeah, it's it's a really tough league right now in the American. No doubt about it, Rich. I wanted to ask you as far as the – American goes. Do you have a, a being that you followed the program with SMU very close, being play, play play, and obviously the American very close. Do you have any idea how many bids you do you think right now? I know we've still got, uh, gosh, another month or so of the league, maybe six weeks. How, how how do you think things are stacking up for the league as far as the big dance? I would think three for sure. I think there's a good chance at four. I don't know that five is going to happen. I think part of the problem is we're going to be beating each other too many times. I don't think anybody's going to get pile up enough total wins on the season. But, uh, you know, traditionally it's been a three to a four-bid league. I I think we're going to be pretty close to that level. And so when you start looking at seeding to get into the conference tournament, every game is obviously so important. And with the way the home teams have been, Games like SMU has Wednesday night at home, I think, are just vital right now for them to make sure they come out on the right side of it. Rich, I was going to ask you before we let you go. I know that you told us before you went on the air of the interview that you're full time at uh, with Texas Motor Speedway. Can we ask you a racing question? What do you think? 
how do you think things are looking this year? Will Jimmy Johnson break the record? Are there any other storylines that come to mind before uh, the season starts? Certainly, uh, Jimmy is a big storyline going into the season, being his last year. It's big for us here at Texas Motor Speedway because we're one of five tracks where he's the all-time leader in wins. He has seven wins here at Texas Motor Speedway. I don't know that uh, an eighth championship is in the cards for him. Um, It's, uh, you know... It's so hard to win the championship now with the way they've gone to the new format with the playoffs and the elimination format that you want to go into the season saying, hey, Kyle Busch, he's got to be the favorite, but you get to that last race, anything could happen. I still think Kyle Busch is probably the favorite going into this season, and I think his his teammate uh, Martin Truex Jr. is probably right there with him, too. Those are... Uh, that Joe Gibbs Racing stable all the way around, just phenomenal last season with a combined 19 wins. No doubt about it. It's going to be interesting, certainly... On the track, the hardwood, the, the no doubt wherever you are, uh, for sure. Can you uh, can you tell us what time your broadcast starts for SMU? I know Pirate fans um, certainly are fans of the American basketball. Would love to hear you. And uh, if you're a fan like me of radio play-by-play, we'll be checking you out. 6.45 Central Time, so 7.45 your time is when our pregame is, and then uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Time tip, obviously. And uh, you can catch us on the TuneIn app. If you shoot, uh, search SMU Mustangs on the TuneIn app, you can find us there. All right, Rich, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it very much, and uh look forward to hearing the call coming up on Wednesday night. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. All right, Rich, appreciate you very much. Good luck tonight to the Pirates. We'll see how that turns out. And, uh We'll see how things go on the racetrack, too, this season. That's very cool. Learn uh, You learn new things every day about your guests. You think you know a little bit about them. And he told us right before the interview that he's full-time at Texas Motor Speedway. So we'll see how that plays out uh, for sure. All right, uh, Bubba, I know we've got a big show and two great guests waiting. Do you want to go to our next guest? Yeah, in the last um, couple weeks, like I mentioned in the Open, Deshaun Amos, uh, so he had signed with the Green Bay Packers uh a reserve contract, a uh, futures contract, or whatever you want to call it. Um, essentially, what that means is he's going to be on the 90-man roster uh, this spring and have an opportunity to earn a roster spot uh, come the fall. So um, congratulations to Deshaun. It was great to have him on the show, and let's go to that conversation right now. Well, Bubba, we are always pirate supporting pirates. Very happy to get, get some news uh, we heard recent, recently. Yeah, news here recently, um, within the last week or so, that Deshaun Amos had played for the Pirates from 2012 to 2016, had signed a reserve futures contract with the Green Bay Packers, and now we're very excited to welcome into the program Deshaun. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Deshaun. Absolutely. First off, uh, before we get the interview started, I know you got to be disappointed with uh, your future team, uh, the Packers. I know they had a tough, like we said right before, Bubba did before, we started the interview. I know Green Bay uh, had a tough assignment with the 49ers. They seem to be the hottest team right now in the NFL. Yeah, man. Uh, didn't didn't quite go our way, but uh, I was definitely you know tuned in, rooting for the guys, um, just because you know I'm I'm one of the newer members and uh, the organization just you know treated me so well that it's hard not to root for them. You know, even though I'm not up there yet. Deshaun, before we talk more about that. Um, uh, so you're originally from Midlothian, Virginia, Manchester High School. And so talk a little bit about your recruitment and your path to East Carolina. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, like you said, man, my school's in Midlothian, but I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Um, and growing up, you know, I was, you know, three-sport athlete. Uh, played basketball, baseball, football. I started off, you know, just, you know, the, the regular kid with a dream, just playing for fun with his friends. 
Um, turned out to, you know, be pretty good at all three sports. Um, ended up going to high school. Like I said, I went to a high school out of my district, actually, because I was a baseball kid. Baseball was my, you know, my best sport. Basketball was probably my favorite, but uh, football I was just good at. So because of baseball, I went to a, a high school that was, like I said, out of my home school district. Um, got there and, you know, strictly strictly baseball, played basketball, like I said, because I loved it. And football was kind of on the back burner, um, but, you know, it kind of went out. It was the first sport of, of the year, of course, so it went out. And um, varsity team, um, they were kind of short on numbers, and I got an opportunity, you know, after showing them a few a little things that I could do to, to play varsity my freshman year. Um, it was more of a development thing, um, but it was a shock to, to me and my family. Uh, just an early start, and that kind of – put football back into, you know, my future as far as an athlete just wanting to go to school or go to college, you know, to play sports. Um, but stuck with baseball, like I said, baseball is more so my, my sport, playing AAU travel ball, playing high school, um, playing as a guest on other teams. Um, up until my junior year, I played all three sports. And um, my baseball team fell apart. My AAU team fell apart. Uh, high school coach stopped playing me. Um, I couldn't tell you why, but um, stopped playing me, and, you know, I didn't have a source of baseball anymore. So it was kind of a shock to me um, thinking that, you know, I was going to college to play baseball, and then now I'm left with basketball, football. Um, ended up separating my shoulder my junior year in high school. So um, that shortened my football. You know, junior year is really your, your important year as far as recruiting goes. Um, so cut my junior in half. So I'm like, all right, well, I know I'm not going to college for basketball because I'm 5'8". <laughs> um, you know, that's that's not going to happen. So um, my senior year was kind of like, you know, I had to I had to go all in on football as far as the off season went because it was my first time actually being able to do the off season programs as far as summer lifting and workouts and um, you know after school programs because I didn't have any other sport that I had to um, you know that required any more of my time. So um, my senior year, man, just went all in on football. Uh, I was able to play both sides of the ball, play returner. And, um, you know, I was that late bloomer to where a lot of a lot of colleges said, you know, this guy has potential, but not enough. we're not seeing enough on film to where um, we necessarily want to give him a scholarship. So a lot of the schools around the area, Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, Maryland, UNC, those are schools that were, you know, they were interested, but they were more saying prefer walk-on, earn your scholarship uh, for your sophomore year. And, um, you know, I, I go to school one day. I'll never forget it, man. I'm in school just a regular day, um, you know, test, work, and uh, I get a pass. It comes to my, my, my class. And, um, you know, they're like, you know, Coach Hall wants you. And I'm thinking it's the usual thing, college is coming in, just to make sure I have the grades and, you know, I was qualified to at least be recruited. Um, but I get down to the to the classroom. Coach Hall's not there, which is my, my high school coach. Um, you know, there's an, an actual coach there. And uh, it was Brian Mitchell, who was the DB coach at the time. And, um, you know, we sat down. It was just me and him in the class. And he's talking. We're, you know, they, they say, he said how much, you know, they really enjoyed my, my film and, um you know, they liked, the, liked my length and, you know, different things that I could bring to the table. 
And, you know, I was just being respectful and just, you know, thank you, thank you, you know, receiving the, the good feedback. Um, and like I said, just for my past recruiting, I, I was just thinking in my head, like, all right, this is just another guy telling me that I'm a good football player. Um, and then, you know, at the end, they're like, man, yeah, we like you, we, we want you. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And, you know, there's this awkward silence, and he's like, yeah, so you understand, like, we want you. And I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and he's like, no, like, we're offering you a scholarship. And I'm like, oh, oh okay, okay. I get it now, you know. And, um, you know, that was the start of everything, man. That was my first my first offer. And, um, you know, just being that late bloomer and going through everything with the sports from high school, uh, it meant a lot to me just from East Carolina in general. Before I even got to the campus, I didn't even meet Ruff yet. Um, just meant a lot to me just – let me know that I can further my education and further my career um, as an athlete. And got up to East Carolina for the banquet weekend, uh, which is where they bring a lot of their big recruits in. You know, we went out, had fun. They showed me around. My parents loved it. I loved it. And shoot, by the end of the weekend, um, I thought it was implied, but, you know, we're sitting in Ruff's office and, He's like, so am I going to be able to coach you? And I'm like, man, I thought you already knew. We had already been to the studio store buying gear and everything. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, man, I committed that Sunday, and that was all she wrote. Deshaun, that was uh, one of the questions I had is when you're in Greenville, the people, the thing that I love about Greenville, and I've been in, uh, in the area since 85, but going all the way back to when I was in East Carolina, I just remember all the – Every uh, I talked about this a couple times on the podcast. Just being a student, I didn't have anybody. Everybody that didn't know each other, everybody was like friendly with each other. There was not like cliques or people that are being snobby. I've always felt like that Greenville or East Carolina was my home. Did you feel the same way being on campus? Definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that was one of the things that kind of drew me and my family in so quickly because you know, like I said, we had never been there. I I never heard of East Carolina. Um. You know, when they offered me, so I had to do a lot of research. But as soon as we got there, it felt like a home away from home. And it just didn't, you know, that feeling didn't require me to have to do that much more research. You know, it just, it felt right. You know, the vibe was right. The people were great. Uh, coaching staff felt like family. Ruff felt like another father figure as far as, you know, um, you know, just the love that you can see of sharing with other other players, other recruits that were there while I was there. While I was there, and um, like you said, man, it was just natural, just a naturally great place. You can see yourself, you know, shining there and, and bettering yourself there. And like I said, man, it, it wasn't a hard decision at all. That's one of the things you always hear. Um, you'd hear Donnie Kirkpatrick, who's the recruiting coordinator, um, say how good of a how good of a closer Ruff was in the recruiting process. So, uh, so you would definitely agree with that. Yes, sir. <laughs> man, Ruff is uh, he's a magician when it comes to recruiting, man. Um, just the, the guys that were in that locker room, um, you know, we were all, we were all from a million different places across the United States, but we all had, you know, the main the main qualities in common. You know, we were family-oriented. Um, we were loyal. The guys were honest. Um, we were going to work our tails off. Um, and we trusted each other, you know. And, um, you know, when 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 you see 
another recruit come in under rough, it's almost like you expect those things, you know, after you know, after being there a year or so, you know, you expect those things from guys that come there and guys that aren't like that end up weeding themselves out. You know, it's, it's, we don't have to do – we didn't have to do much as leaders as far as telling guys how to act or how to be and how to play, how to perform, how to work, because you were going to stick out if you didn't. And um, that spoke a lot about who Ruff was, the guy he was. Um, he made personal trips himself. Uh, he wasn't the guy that would just send you that that uh, the, the the printed out envelope uh, or card <laughs> in the envelope, you know, and just sign it. He was writing handwritten letters. Uh, like I said, he came to my house personally, you know, after getting hip replacements. Man, like he. There's so many things that he's done for me personally and then, you know, just witnessing that he did for other guys that um, there's no doubt about it. If you're around him for, shoot, I'll give it an hour max, you, you know, you're, you're going to you're gonna be attached to him, and, and that helped a lot as far as him being that good closer and recruiting. And I was going to ask you as far as that goes, uh, Sean, former players, uh, I remember the day that it happened, but what was your thoughts being a former player when – uh, Ruff was let go. I know it was December 4th, uh, 2015. Unfortunately, there's a lot of days I don't remember, but as much as I loved him as a fan, I can't imagine what it was like uh, losing him as knowing that he was not going to be the coach anymore at East Carolina. Man, um, yeah, that was, I was, that, was a, that was a hard day for, for me and a lot of the guys as well. Um, I would say more so just because, I mean, you know, me, the the older me now is saying, you know, it's kind of life, you know, it's, it's the business of it. But um, just back then, it was, we, we didn't understand it. Um, we didn't expect it. Um, there were so many unanswered questions. It was spare of the moment. Um, and I, had, I was just at the uh, facility, you know, leaving out of the locker room. And uh, he was headed into the facility. And we spoke, we laughed, we joked, and he, you know, he was just smiling, just the usual rough, shining, um, you know, making sure we were fine. You know, you guys good, you need anything, you know, you know we're fine, coach, you know. Uh, he's, you know, he's same thing, I'm one call away. If you need me, just let me know. And uh, he headed upstairs towards the offices. Uh, me and me and my roommates and a few other guys that were on the team, we left and we, we were actually at my uh, at my house at the time. And um, we're out on the front porch, man. It's exam time. So, you know, not having classes if you don't have the exams or if you got them done, you have a lot of free time. So we're figuring out, you know, what are we going to – what are we getting ready to do with our time, you know, just being being teammates. And um, one of the guys, he's like, uh, you know, it's, it's this awkward silence. He's like, yo, did y'all see this? And we're like, what is it? We're thinking it's usual social media, a funny video or a meme or something. And um, it was it was on Twitter. It was saying, you know, that he had got fired. And we're like, what? You know, it's like, nah, man, like whatever. And then the alerts just started multiplying, man. Next thing you know, we're our phones are blowing up. We're getting calls from our, our parents and other teammates and just about everybody. Um, asking us if it was true. Then we get a mass text um, saying that we're about to have a meeting, a team meeting, and we're like, all right, so it's true, but what in the world? Like, how did this happen? 
why? You know, that, that was everybody's main question. It was why. Why did Ruff get fired? Um, and we get into the, the team meeting, and it was, I don't know, man. It was it was rough just because, um, you know, I don't know if he wasn't allowed or how it went, but, you know, we weren't even able to, you know, kind of say our goodbye to Ruff that one last time. You know, so my last time seeing him, you know, I got lucky because I seen him leaving out of the facility. But, you know, some guys that didn't see him, you know, and hadn't seen him in a little while because of the exams and things. And um, he wasn't in the exit meeting. Um, a lot of the questions that we were asking in the exit meeting weren't being answered. Um, you know, it was his main answer, this one answer that was being used to answer every question. So it was a hard time just because we didn't know how to move on because we never really got closure from it. Um but yeah, man, it was tough, and uh, as you can see, it, it changed the program for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and that's one of those things. Uh, number one, I didn't agree with it, and but then if you're gonna if you're gonna um, make the decision to pull the trigger on something like that, at least be man enough so, to handle it in the right way. But correct. Uh, but that's over and done with, and hopefully we're headed to better days under Coach Mike Houston. But uh, Deshaun, getting yeah. back. Yeah, no doubt. Um, but getting back to your career, um, you were coming in prior to the, the fall of 2012. In 2012, uh, you redshirted. You were on the scout teams. And then in 2013 and 2014, uh, two seasons in which the Pirates won a combined 18 games, uh, you, you played in every ball game. Um, you were primarily on special teams and also some uh, reserve action in the secondary. So talk about those seasons because I know, I know in 2013 you had a 100-yard pick six late in that ball game. Uh, I think it was maybe actually the final play against Tulsa. Yeah, man. Um, so at that time, you know, Rick Smith had came along um, as our new DB coach. And um, he took that DB room and he, you know, he made it, um, you know, times 10. And, um it was just a matter of, of time, I feel like. I reassured and I felt like it was the best thing for me because I needed to develop. Um, I was primarily in high school, primarily a receiver and, and, and a kick returner. So um, DB was more of a thing that I played because I was an athlete. So I had to get a lot of technique down, um, a lot of the mental game down as far as being able to read routes and quarterback and, you know, the plays. Um, so that one year – um and I and I I still I'm just I was talking to Damon Magazine the other day, but um, you know, I just can't thank those older guys enough uh throughout my redshirt here, just teaching me the game, um, using their own time to to help me develop as a player and get me ready for the twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen season. And um, you know, I was just given my opportunity. Um I had to battle just like every other guy. Um you know, we had a lot of older guys they brought in. We had some Juco guys with Adonis Armstrong, Chip Thompson. So they kind of had – we had an older secondary, you know, in my younger years. And, um, like I said, it was a blessing to come up under them, and I, I ended up getting a spot playing nickel. Um, but I knew that my way of helping the team originally was to be a special teams guy. I was young. I had a lot of energy running around. Um, and I was playing fast, and that's, that's mainly what the, the special teams deal is about. So um took on my role 100%. Um, I knew there was no time to be wasted. I knew there was a great start for me. And like I said, the nickel role played in my favor. And um, I was just, you know, I was just honored to be able to, to take that role on and and start my legacy as a, as a pirate. 
And then in, um, in that 2015 season, so your redshirt junior year, I guess it was almost halfway through the season. Uh, I guess that BYU game out in Provo, um, you started um, – you, or you began starting then, and then you started pretty much the rest of the way. Yeah, man. Uh, just another thing of working hard. You know, just – I was I was a, the second-team guy, um, but I knew that it wasn't uh, a stage of being discouraged. It was more so – you know, it just isn't my time. There's a reason for everything. I trusted my trainer, trusted my coaches um, to put the best guy out there and, and whatever was – whoever was, you know, best for our defense and best for our team to help us win. Um, and so, you know, like I said, man, just trusted it all and trusted God's plan for me and an opportunity presented itself with, you know, me being able to get a start. And all I could do was go out there and be me and – uh, like I said, use use the training, the coaching, and the guys around me to uh, perform at a high level. Um, and just once I got that first start, I told myself that, you know, your foot's in the door now, man. It's no turning back. So, uh, you know, I had to turn it up a notch, put in more work, put in more hours in the film room. And um, that started my, my my career as a starter, I would say. Oh, and Sean, I was going to ask you about, um, you mentioned – one of my favorite coaches, Rick Smith. Can you talk about him? He was. <laughs> uh, we know him a little. We know him a little bit. Uh, the three of us on the podcast. Can you talk about what's it like being a player and you have Coach Rick Smith? Ah oh, man, uh, so much knowledge, man. Um, that was. I feel like that was the main thing as a player being under Coach Smith. Um, he had pretty much seen it all, man. He's seen the game evolve so many times, and he's been so many places. It, it wasn't too many questions that he couldn't answer. And, you know, so just being that younger player, I threw a million questions at him. You know, just to, so so many if ands, and buts that I threw at him that, you know, he just knew all the answers to it. And um, that was just another part of my development. But uh, him as a coach, man, he's a great guy. Um, he, he's going to try his hardest to put the best player out there as well. So you, you're going to get your fair shot. Um he knows how to to put a a group together because as a DB, you know you you get your one position, but it's it's multiple DBs back there, and you have to work together as a group. You know a lot more than than people may think. And um, he was great at putting guys out on the field that that played together, worked together, um, communicated well. And um, you know I was just. Just another blessing, man, in my time at ECU to get Coach Rick Smith in there and be my coach and help me continue to develop as a player and um, teach me about life as well, man, because like I said, um, we're not going to talk about age, but he's, he's seen a lot. So um, on and off the field, you know, he kept us – he kept our heads on straight. And um, like I said, I'm forever grateful and thankful that he was my coach. No doubt about it. Um, and, and so in 2016, obviously – we didn't win as many ball games um, after getting off to an excellent start on two and zero, and then um, really had South Carolina um, on the ropes down there, but just weren't able to finish uh, several drives in the red zone and uh, let that one uh, slip through our hands. But um, but talk a little bit about your senior season. I know you, personally you had a pretty good year, um, over fifty tackles. Um, man, my senior year was. Um, it probably it was there's no problem about it. It wasn't my best 
or our best year as a, as a team. But um, personally, I learned the most about myself and I grew the most in my senior year. Um, just coming off of the coaching change, um, it was my senior year, so, you know, being a leader during a coaching change is heavy. Um, you know, you got a lot of guys that are thinking about transferring, and a lot of guys that are looking to the older guys for answers and kind of guidance. So um, it was a lot of work having to be put in uh, during that off season, And uh, just getting the young guys aboard, uh, getting them to buy in, um, just so that we can at least still be a team, you know. Um, before the wins and losses, uh, before anything else, we wanted to make sure that we, we remained a brotherhood and we remained a team. Um, so that was, you know, that was one task that we had to take on as, as the older guys and leaders. Um, then I end up, um, you know, with, with the new defensive coordinator. Um, there were games that he would sit me, play some younger guys, and that was more of a, I'm not going to say humbling experience because, uh, you know, I was I, I remained humble throughout the the process, but it was more of a, a eye opener for me uh, because it's, you, you're going to face adversity, you know, and it was one of those things where I had to see how I was going to respond to that. Uh, with get, I ended up getting my spot back. As soon as I get my spot back at corner, they come to me and they're like, "All right, we need you to play safety," you know. So I played three positions in one three positions in one year with nickel corner safety. Um, but being that old guy and being the team player that I am, I was, I took it all full force. Um, I already knew the defense, so the communication and everything wasn't hard. It was, I think the transition happened within a week. Um, they came to me at the end of one game and the next game I was starting at safety. Um, but just throughout that process, man, it was just, like I said, I, I grew so much as a player. I learned so much about myself just with the different obstacles and, and adversity that, that hit us that year. And then, of course, like I said, we, we weren't winning. We ended up 3-9. and nine. Um, But that year there, you know, kind of, you know, it wasn't definitely wasn't what I had in mind for my senior year, but I felt like I needed it as a, as a player. After finishing up your career with the Pirates, um, we touched on what's going on now, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But in uh, – 2017, uh, you were signed as an undrafted free agent with the New York Giants. So, talk about that opportunity. Oh man! Um, so, uh, my my draft grade, um, you know, from the get, from the end of, from the end of the season was, um, you know, later in the draft to preferred um, undrafted. You know, and um, I, you know, I just seen it as you know just being an underdog. You know. I, uh, a lot in my early career or early life stages, you know, I've always been an underdog or the late bloomer, like I said, coming out of high school. So um, I've always felt like I've had more to prove, you know, and still do. But um, so I just I, I hit everything full speed, um, just tried to stay level-headed, clear mind, um, you know, got right into the train and everything. And everything worked out, man. I performed well in my in my pro day. And um, a lot of teams were contacting me throughout the process. But um, I met my agent, man, who's <laughs> amazing as an understatement, but uh, Christian Kranz. You know, my freshman year in college, he was actually the equipment manager, which is uh, another wild story for another day. But, um, 
he ended up, you know, going to school and everything and being an agent, and I met him, and he put in so much work for me, man. It was almost like meeting Ruff all over again with how he approached the, the process, and he came to me with everything from teams to scouts to, you know, what teams were thinking and what teams we more, more so wanted to target uh, as far as being undrafted with the roster, the number, the number of DBs, um, how often they keep undrafted guys, and uh, when it was all said and done, uh, the Giants were one of those teams that we had circled on our list. And uh, Arizona had called towards the end of the draft saying they might they might draft me. They ended up getting a safety, I believe. Um, Seahawks called right after, offered me a mini camp invite. And um, the next call was to my agent. It was from New York. Um, they offered a signing bonus, and they wanted to sign me, you know, from the get-go. So, um you know, this is what I had been dreaming for, you know, or dreaming of since I was in, like, the second grade. So, um, you know, it, it was one of those things where I wasn't I wasn't doubting myself, but we didn't want to pass up on that offer and then not get another offer, um, especially with it being the team that we had circled on our list. So um, it was a go from there. Uh, got up to New York, and and that, 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 was, that was the next stage of football. Deshaun, I was going to ask, how hard is um, – I'm sorry, but I was just going to ask a quick no question. Um, how hard is it – you know, you, we always hear about the different levels, high school, college. How hard is it to make it a 53-man roster in the NFL? Um, it's an everyday battle. It's an everyday battle just because at any point you can get sent home, at any point you can take a job, at any point you can get your job taken. And they're always watching. Um, and at this level, there's there's this is the most business involved in football that you'll experience. You know, coming from pee wee up through middle school, high school, college. You know, so much business, there's money into it. It's a lot more into it to where they're going to evaluate you top to bottom to make sure they're not making a mistake and that you can help their team win. So. Um, just every day, man, day in, day out, off days, diet, um, playbook, uh, off the field as far as, you know, community and, and just how you hold yourself and accountable, social media. There's not one thing about your life that, you know, they won't know that they're not evaluating. So um, you can just, just with that description, you can, Imagine the amount of stress that's kind of on you, you know, just every day, just trying to make make a roster that, you know, they already had a roster, you know. So these are just extra guys that are either going to take a job or they're not. Um, so just that, every, like I said, everyday battle, man, clawing your way in, especially with me being an undrafted guy, having older guys there. Um, then it's your dream, so, you know, it's your first time in, so – kind of trying to get the experience of it as well. Um, but, yeah, man, it's just it's, it's stressful. Um, it's hard, but, you know, you have those guys that, that guide you. You have mentors. You have your family. You have your support that kind of remind you to kind of stay, take a step back and see how far you've actually came. Um, and, and that helps you enjoy the process more than uh, being stressed out. 
So, Deshaun, after you were released by the Giants, uh, you, you was back at the drawing board, and then you had an opportunity with the Calgary Stampeders um, arise. And um, up there, uh, you were able to have a tremendous two seasons and uh, ha- had five interceptions. You were a Western Division All-Star, I believe I read. And then um, were you also part of a Grey Cup? Uh, I was Grey Cup my first year. Yeah, okay. Right into okay. <laughs> so um, talk about your experience in the CFL. Oh, man. Um, the CFL was just, first of all, it was a blessing. Um from God, just being able to get back on the field because after being released from the Giants, the way I was released from the Giants, it was kind of a uh, a setback, really. Um, but, um, yeah, man, just got there, um, and I just knew, like, hey, man, this thing can be taken from you. And then I knew before, but it was just uh, multiplied, just like this thing can be taken from you at any point. You know, and this is the game you love. You've learned to love, so um, take full advantage of it. And I got up there. Um, Calgary actually held my contract for, I would say, about three quarters of the season, um, and that showed their loyalty to me and how much they actually wanted me on the team. Um, got up there on extended rosters, and me and my agent were talking. And was, you know, with me being young, we wanted to get activated um, as soon as possible to get that experience in and it would also count as my first year of the contract in my two-year contract. So um, it would help me with the next year being able to have a full season and then being a free agent after that to have options. Um, but like I said, man, I got there. They were loyal to me, and they really wanted me on the team. Uh, my defensive back coach, um, Coach Bell, Josh Bell, he's a great dude, man, um, amazing dude. And uh, he taught me the game. Had a bunch of older guys there that taught me the game. Uh, my first time playing actually was behind a guy that just retired. He did 12 or 13 seasons in, in the CFL, um, Brandon Smith. And, I mean, from the day I got there to, you know, our last day together in, in, on that field, uh, he was always feeding me knowledge about the difference, you know, the, the, the Canadian game. And, um, you know, the hunger that I had of being there and knowing that it could be taken away from me, plus the resources that I had, um, you know, it created the project or, or it created the player I was in Canada. Um, and it was just, you know, just days of work, hard work, the hunger, like I said, and um, great coaching staff. And it was a fun game, though. You know, it's, it's funny because the rules are so so different that, you know, when you're watching, it's like, what is this? But when you're in it, it's it's, it's way – I wouldn't say it's more fun than, than American football, but it's definitely parts of it that excites you a little bit more just because it's adding a little spice to the game, I guess you could say. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pass heavy, so as a DB, I love that. Um, and the guys that I played with, we were all ball hawks, man. And it just made the game fun, and I was happy to be out there on – on the field again and the helmet and the uniform. And like you said, man, I took advantage of my, my opportunity. I uh, bought out this last year. And, and as you can see, it's created opportunities for me. Deshaun, our uh, fellow co-host, Kyle Barber, he's joined the show and he has a question for you. Hey, what's up, Kyle? Hey, what's going on, Deshaun? I, I don't know what's been asked at this point, so I apologize if uh, if it's repetitive. Uh, just wanted to, uh, to touch on uh, your time 
here at East Carolina and playing for Rick Smith and uh, what Coach Smith meant to, to you as a player? Uh, yeah, so um, I, don't worry about it being repetitive. I don't, I don't mind repeating it. But um, like I was telling the guys, you know, Rick Smith was a very important part of my career at, at ECU. Um, like I said, I had a different defensive back coach my red shirt year, but as far as me working for an opportunity and a spot on the field um, on the defensive side, uh, Rick, Smith, Rick Smith was my coach. He was a guy that, that taught me a bunch of, uh, of the game and um, taught me about life and kind of mold, helped mold me as a player because um, the red shirt year is different. You know, obviously you're not playing, but um, your schedule is different. You know, the way you carry yourself is different. Um, your mindset is different. And uh, Rick Smith, you know, like I said, he coached me through all of that. He helped get me, you know, prepared to play and um, not just go out there and, and, you know, be on the field, but actually go out there and perform at a high level. Um, but, yeah, so grateful that he was my coach, thankful that he was my coach. Uh, we still, you know, keep in touch here and there. Uh, social media, and then if you know if I see him, of course. But um, yeah, Rick Smith's my guy, man. So thankful he's my coach. Good to show him back to the present. Um, we talked about the Green Bay contract you signed, uh, futures contract. So, uh, to my understanding, what that essentially means, you're part of the 90-man roster, and you get to go through the OTAs and mini camp and attempt to uh, earn a spot on the on the roster. Correct. Correct. So. Um, so talk a little bit about um, what you'll be doing over your uh, your routine over these next few months, and uh, when you'll when you'll head to the OTAs and all, all that sort of thing. Um, so I head back up to Green Bay in April, so I have roughly maybe three months, because um, I think it'll be later in, in April. I think it's the twentieth, but um, you know, just the the same the same thing as far as you know being a professional. Um, Fueling my body with the right things as far as my diet goes, um, getting on a, a strict workout schedule to where, you know, I'm, I'm pushing my body and preparing my body for a different game um, because, you know, like we were saying, the Canadian game and, and the American game is, is different, you know, as far as my body type goes. Um, just going to, you know, basically bulk up a little bit more and make sure I'm in shape. Um Continue to polish my ball skills, work on my strengths and weaknesses, and um, just make sure that I'm ready mentally and physically for when I get up there in April to, you know, bring a spark to the team. Deshaun, um, with you the guy you had the opportunity to play with at East Carolina, Josh Hawkins, mm-hmm. and he was fortunate to have uh, some good time there with the Packers. So, um, have you have you talked to Josh about what it was like to play at historic Lambeau Field and um, in front of uh, a great franchise like Green Bay? I have not yet. Um, Josh is he's busy with the XFL. I know they're starting soon. I believe February 8th is the first game. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, me and Josh will definitely talk. Um, I'll definitely contact him. We, we keep him in, in touch. But um, I'll definitely, you know, be talking with Hawk if I even have to visit him for a game or whatever the case may be um, because I feel like that will be a, a nice advantage. It's, it's a little different there um, because I was talking to the staff and, they were saying that, you know, the, the organization is a little different, the teams are a little different from when he was there. But, um, of course, he can still at least give me a little intel on, you know, just what the what the community's like, um, what the organization is looking for, you know, bigger picture-wise and what helped him be successful there. 
and, um, you know, what things that he might have would have went back and changed um, because, you know, any any advantage here, you know, from here until then, you know, it will all be helpful and, you know, just getting ahead of – getting as ahead as I can. So definitely we'll be contacting Hawk and, you know, chatting with, chatting with my guy for a little bit. Deshaun, I had a question. Uh, with you playing in the Canadian Football League and now, uh, you know, getting a shot with the Packers, yeah, of course, hopefully it's going to work out, and I think it is going to work out. But I'm just curious, going forward with the XFL restarting, what do you think the uh, perception will be for guys coming out of college or, or that have played in the CFL? Will the CFL be perceived as, as being a better option than the XFL, even though the XFL is in the States, or is it equal, or what? Oh, man. Um, well, of course, I think it depends on the guys. Um, you know, the individual player, you know, when they're making that decision. But uh, me personally, um, the XFL is just starting, man. Um, and we all know how the AAF went. So um, the XFL definitely has some some things, some boxes they still need to check in order to be uh, solidified as an actual option coming out of college. But, um, you know, like I said, me personally, man, the CFL is a great league. Um, it really is. And a lot of people see it as, they said it's a developmental league or just a step. Uh, for me, it, it happened to work out this way. But as I told my coaches, my teammates, my family, you know, even my agent, um, I would not have minded staying in, in, in Canada and, you know, having a career there because it's, it's still highly competitive. Uh, like I said, it's a great league. A lot of the guys there um, played here in the States or, you know, had had a chance to. and um, so I, I definitely wouldn't say that um, that the XFL is better. And if I had to make a choice, you know, if I was coming out of college, I, I would actually choose the CFL just because, like I said, you, you don't know what the startup leagues, the AAF kind of didn't work out as everyone planned. And um, like I said, there's still some unchecked boxes with the XFL. But at the same time, I think the XFL, if they do check those boxes, will be a great opportunity as well. Uh, we have a lot of guys in it, like we spoke about Hawk and, um, Davon Grayson is, is playing as well. So I'm excited for the league, and, and I hope it does work out and um, create another opportunity because there's a lot of guys um, who are sitting on the couch that are more than capable of playing football at, at a professional level. No, I agree with you 100%. And your point about, you know, it being an unproven league is, is a great point because the Canadian Football League has been around for a long time. Yes, sir. Dave, did you have anything else for Deshaun? Like Dave is busy. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I thought I had it uh, off mute. Um, Sean, I just uh, very excited about it. Um, my final question will be putting you on the spot. Uh, are you going to be pulling for Kansas City to win the Super Bowl uh, since uh, the 49ers beat Green Bay, your future team, or uh, who do you like in the the matchup for Super Bowl 54? <laughs> uh, I'm one of the guys where my logic is: um, if we're going to lose, let's lose to the champion. So. Um, they beat us, and so they got to win it all. Otherwise, you know, like they all say, man, we would have did better than they did. So um, I feel like, you know, just because the 49ers, you know, they beat us, they got to win it all now. Sean, we certainly appreciate your time. It's been great catching up. I know Pirate Nation will uh, really enjoy hearing this interview and hear 
hear what you had to say about your time with the Pirates and then also what you're up to now. And we'd love to have you back on the show down the road and continued success and uh, best of luck with Green Bay. Yes, sir, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, great Appreciate time. Appreciate man. Definitely uh, plan on, plan on uh, representing East Carolina well. Uh, go Pirates. Thank you very much to Sean, very much. As, uh, good luck to his team. Uh, well, him making his new team in the Green Bay Packers, that's an honor just to get uh, that invitation. And I know that he and his agent have been working really hard on that. So good luck to him. He's been working hard, I know, in the in his offseason, trying to get ready and prepared for the NFL, the shield, if you will. Ready to go. To, uh, speaking of the NFL, we've got a guy that uh, we know very well that knows a lot about the NFL in college. Yeah, Antoine Staley, he's a pirate. Um, he's a guy, um, he's written for um, a few different outlets for sure, but um, most recently he was with, um, most recently he was with Athlon Sports, and uh, that's who he's still currently writing for, and he does he does a heck of a job, and, and we talked uh, NFL and college football with Antoine, and let's go to that right now. Well, it's uh, the end of football season as far as college is concerned, and certainly uh, with the, a lot of changes at coaches, and then we also have uh, with not only coaching changes at the college level, but obviously pro level. We thought we'd have our good buddy back, Antoine Staley, to come back on. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? All right. I know that you're a Pirate alum, too, so we're going to talk some ECU starting out. I want to get your thoughts. There's so much to cover. It's kind of like... Uh, the uh, Smokey and the Bandit a movie, a long way to go and a short time to get there. So we're going to go ahead and dive on in. I want to get your thoughts on Coach Mike Houston. What do you think so far? Uh, for me, uh, I thought, I mean, it was a rough season. I know some people had high expectations of them getting to a bowl game. I thought it'd be, uh, I thought they'd be a little bit, cl- I thought they might win five games this year uh, just because it was so much of a, you know, you need to, he needs to get get his players in there. Uh, the, his recruits in there, and uh, obviously ECU has some tough times there, especially uh, the Scotty Montgomery. But I thought for the circumstance that he dealt with, it also felt like EC the offense got better as the season went on. To be completely honest, I just think definitely defensively they they still have a lot of neat uh, areas to shore up, and uh, hopefully they've done that with recruiting. I think they have um, added some talent there, and next year I definitely think. Um, six wins, uh, maybe a possibility for ECU and just get to a bowl game. I definitely think uh, they're headed in the right direction. We definitely saw growth from them as the season went on. Well, certainly with the Pirates, uh, uh, definitely I think it's a strong possibility. The schedule's a lot harder this coming year, Antoine, but uh, certainly uh, we're committed to – I committed to other guys, and hopefully you can come on, maybe at least via phone. But if we go to a bowl game, we're going to do a live podcast. Our engineer, he's in. Um, hopefully won't be too far away <laughs> for him, but uh, he said that he's definitely in, so uh, Al Cannon, so hopefully we can get you on. And uh, It's been so long, five seasons, Antoine, without uh, with a losing record, without a bowl appearance. I imagine that place, uh, the tickets are going to be very hard to come by whenever the Pirates go back bowling. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to believe it's been that long, uh, especially considering all the success that they had in the early 2000s, uh, started out with Skip, uh, Skip Post there. I, I mean, and, uh, you end up having uh, Ruffin McNeil come in and take over for him. And you had that, he had that succession that he was doing great things there. Uh, a couple of wins over North Carolina and Virginia Tech. And, uh, he ended up getting fired, which was a bit controversy at the time. And, uh, after a five and seven season, and you think, oh, okay, you know, 
they might they still might be in a good place, but you know, hiring Scotty Montgomery and y'all y'all know how what happened after that and just some really, really bad seed three and nine seasons and yeah, I definitely think Mike Houston's gonna get it on right on track, but it was never just gonna be a one year fit there. It's definitely gonna have to take some time there, especially considering uh everything that happened uh prior to McNeil I mean after roughly McNeil ended up getting fired. No question about it. You know, Antoine, the, when it comes to uh, the Pirates, uh, one of the things that you I know aware of uh, following the pro- program closely as an alum is uh, with, we had back January the 8th, you had Jeff Hansen, the D-line coach. He uh, hung up the headphones, if you will. Uh, he's actually going to, in the whistle, he's retiring after 46 years. Then you had eight days later on January the 16th, uh, the time, giving you a little timeline here with, uh, Coach Bob Trott, the defensive coordinator, who's been, has a resume to kill for, to die for. Uh, he was not, his contract not renewed, as a lot of people know, as the players have a yearly, uh, with their scholarships renewed every year, so do the coaches. His contract was not renewed. And, uh, when you look at that, there's two big openings there and, uh, coaching changes. Uh, do you have, uh, I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have any mind of defensive coordinators um, that you would like to see, or maybe across college football, that would be good for East Carolina. Well, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say, especially considering uh, the timeline right now. We're in uh, late January, so yeah, I mean, it's hard to see who's who's willing to come about. It might be available. I'm sure somebody uh, from Mike Houston and his if that's for him with him uh, might be a possibility there. But you look at what they were. The defense last year, I definitely think uh, they had some games where they had had potential upset brewing. Uh, you, you remember the Cincinnati game and then also the SMU game uh, a contest. I felt like both of them, they should have won or had opportunities to win, but I felt like the defense just really let them down there. And I know some of it was um, with the roster and players. Uh, you know, I mean, you're coming in, that's Mike Houston's first year, and it's, it's hard to expect a big turnaround there, but at the same time, you had an opportunity to win the game, and it felt like defense, especially considering the strategy and uh, just the way things were going, uh, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Right. It was definitely um, a need. It's definitely um, needed to turn over, and uh, obviously uh, they've done that. And uh, I, I expect better things. Hopefully, uh, it can't can't get a lot worse than what it was, especially uh, considering. They still put up a ton of points there, and so the offense, and they still were they still dropped some games there late on in the season. No doubt about it, especially when. Uh, by the way, ESPN had an article today about the top. Uh, I believe it was the top 100 games. Yeah. FBS, and we made 72nd and 73rd, almost upsetting Cincinnati and SMU. I mean, when SMU, you made a great point, Antoine. It triggered that memory of um, when they almost have to score 60 win a game, you would uh, think that if you can score, I don't know, 40 or 50, you have a good shot. So uh, hopefully we can get a good defensive coordinator in, and uh, that would help us get to bowling for year two. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. Uh, I think I think that's what it is. I think offensively they, they show strides, and I definitely think that uh, next year they, their offense will be able to hang with just about anybody in America. It's just about can they make stop, enough stops to win games. If they can do that, then – I really think, even though with the tougher schedule, I definitely think six wins is not out the question. It's going to take some upsets in order to do it, but 
when you have an offense that's playing as well as they did later on in the year, I definitely think they have a really good opportunity to do so. No question about it. And then you look at another storyline coming out is uh, we've got issues with offensive line with guys not a part of the program suspended right now. Uh, now Matt Morgan and the press criteria. I mean, we got two guys right now that uh, one's out and one's suspended indefinitely, and then you got injury. I mean, you got all kinds of stuff going on. So it looks like uh, that's going to be not only D line an issue, but it looks like O line could be another one that's uh, an issue. So hopefully that you win and lose games at the line, no doubt, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Uh, especially, uh, especially trying to incorporate your program and your vision. Uh, there, that's that's where it all starts to uh, try to take care of the line and. Uh, obviously, they need need to upgrade the defensive line, and they need, they definitely need to um, still do that with the offensive line here, especially with uh, the the second signing day coming up. There, I'm sure they'll add some pieces there, uh, try to share that up as well. And uh, the good thing about that is players that are trying to come in, you, you'll have an opportunity to play right away at ECU because they definitely have a need for offensive line there. And I'm sure uh, Mike Hughes is going to get a good job with that, trying to clean up and the rest of the signing, signing day, signing period there um, in February. want to talk about some basketball while we have a chance. Uh, get your thoughts overall and maybe talk some storylines. What do you think so far with uh, Joe Dooley and and uh, with the basketball season so far? Well, and, and they, they, I definitely think that uh, they're a lot, they're better than what I expected, especially considering the circumstances and the, the losses that they had this year. Uh, they look at just some, the play that they had, I, I remember uh, watching definitely the SMU game there um, a couple of weeks back, or what, last week, or what, I think it was on the 11th, actually. That was, I felt like that was a big win there uh, at home. Uh, and since then, they dropped a couple of hits, Tulsa and Cincinnati. But, um, yeah, I mean, the American is a solid conference there. You got Wichita State playing well. Um, I know they're 8-10 eight, eight and 10 right now at ECU, but – I definitely keep considering the circumstances of what's going on. I mean, it was hard to expect a lot this year, to be completely honest. But that's, with winning the game this year, I definitely think was a positive, at least so far early in the season. I know we have Bubba. Bubba, you're in now. You can go ahead and ask Antoine a question. I'll edit this part out. Oh, no problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what, like you said, man, the Americans, a conference that has a lot of depth and, um, you mentioned Wichita State and what Kelvin Sampson is doing out at Houston. I mean, Houston went into Wichita, a very difficult place to win, and um, and uh, took down the Shockers um, by, I think, 11 or 12 points, and that's really as close as that ball game was. So and that was a real eye-opener to me, even as good as Houston is. Yeah, and you still got yeah, to play Houston coming up. You got Memphis, who, uh, despite everything that's going on there, there's still a good quality basketball team there. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people kind of slept on the American. I know UConn is leaving. Uh, that's something you go back to the quote-unquote biggies, even though it's not the same biggies. But uh, but still, it's still a quality conference. And uh, I definitely think considering the circumstances, I mean, it, it's hard. It was going to be a tough year there. But uh, with the quality, they have, it's definitely a lot of quality teams coming out of the American this year. And this year is definitely no different. Uh, uh, guys, a graphic that I saw on the screen, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was during that Wichita State game or a game uh, since then, um, but um, the American had, I think, eight of the teams in the top 
top 100 as far as the net, which is the what used to be the RPI. Yeah. So, um, so Antoine, um, before we shift gears and talk about some uh, more national topics in terms of college and uh, NFL coaching searches, um, obviously East Carolina baseball is just around the corner, and as you would expect, the Pirates are in a number of polls and uh, looking to host the third consecutive regional. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I definitely think it should be another really good year for them. Uh, I know they're going to be, uh, they're going to be pretty, pretty, like, pretty high, um, especially with the grades that they have last year. Uh, things kind of ended in disappointing fashion there, uh, getting they end up getting eliminated in a super regional round. But um, hopefully, this is probably the year they could possibly uh, flex their ticket to the first to their first college world uh, world series first. There, uh, they definitely uh, Cliff when it's done a great job there. Uh, they just haven't been able to get over the hump for whatever reason. There, they've run into some really good teams and had some unfortunate luck there. But uh, they definitely have uh, a good quality team there. That's definitely going to have all the intangibles, I believe, to end up potentially uh, bidding for a bid for the College World Series there. Um, I definitely think they're going to be right in the top 25 there. I've seen a lot of polls that they're already in a, a top 25 team there. Um, I know, I think D1Baseball.com has them in the top 20, top 25. So, yeah, it's going to be another, it should be another really good year for uh, baseball. And, you know, you make a great point uh, with Antoine is a very good top 25. I know that one thing that comes to mind is we've had some experts say it's one of those things where, like, uh, Travis Watkins, like that walk-off. I know, Bubba, you were there in Charlottesville. Who would have ever thought that we would make – we would win out of the that regional out of Charlottesville in 2016. And, my gosh, a couple times – we're so close to going to Omaha at, there at Texas Tech in Lubbock and Lubbock and that super regional. Uh, very, very close. And uh, who would have ever thought that group would have – you know, it's one of those things where it'll happen like life when you least expect it. And, Last year, we had seven guys drafted, seven, um, off our squad. A lot of people, I think, think that by seeing that, they think that we're going to not be as good, and I, I disagree. I think this team, um, with Coach Godwin and staff, with the, I mean, the program that he's built, I, I feel like instead of uh, this is, is going to be your, in other words, we're reloading, not a rebuild. This is reloading, in my opinion. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I I, 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 I agree. I, I Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I just oh, no I, I definitely think that uh yeah, they lost a lot of people, a lot of people got drafted, but um this is I I, I call E C U a baseball school. Uh I know it's, uh people are familiar with it as far as football, but yeah, for what they've been able to do baseball wise and the consistency that they had, yeah, I, I think they're gonna they're gonna be just as good as anybody, um, in the country this year and I don't know why they wouldn't be able to be at least to be in the midst, um, in a, in order to get to a college World Series this upcoming year. They have a lot of talent um, still remaining on that team, and they're bringing up a lot of talent that's coming in as well. Yeah, as, as you hear coaches say all the time, the, the life expectancy of each team's one year, so there's always going to be that um, adaptation process, you know, the, the filling out, so to speak, as far as different roles and the dynamics of, of that particular team. But, um like you said, Dave, um, Cliff has stockpiled. He and Jeff Palumbo and his staff have stockpiled a, an awful lot of talent. And so it's more reloading than it is rebuilding. 
No question. When you look at, uh, I mean, you've got an amazing pitching coach coming in. Um, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. I've mentioned that a couple times previously on this podcast, and uh, it sounds like we're a bunch of ECU homers, but the bottom line is uh, when you have national guys say that we have a SEC-like atmosphere at Clark LeClaire Stadium, we have that type of program. You look at the coach that we have as head coach, a, form, uh, a guy that's played baseball. He knows what it's like to be a pirate, not only Pirate Nation, but he's from Greene County, uh, right close to Greenville. I mean, 30 minutes away at most. Um, he knows what it means to be a pirate. And when you see a guy like Cliff Godwin, who has a lot of pressure on him when it's win- the wins and loss business, and you see him out at Wichita State, he's there in the huddle. That was so cool. And then you see the baseball program, the whole team is at a recent game. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you want. And uh, just building the program. Uh, as far as Omaha is concerned, I know that coaches said it'll happen when it happens. And uh, I'm I'm not going to jinx it uh, there, Antoine, but my bosses already know if we ever go, um, they're going to definitely give me the time off. When, so. when we go. What's that? I was just giving you a tough time. Yeah, when we go. You said yeah. if we ever go, and I said when we go. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was the wrong choice of words. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> um, but we will go, and uh, Othello Meadows has said that he's going to host a big party, so we're going to have him back on soon on the podcast, and we're going to uh, have <laughs> 2020. It might be the year that we're out in Omaha, and uh, definitely saving my pennies up for that flight, no doubt about it. And Or if not, Bubba and I can, <laughs> and his uh, dad, uh, and maybe Kyle, we can get the time off and uh, go out there and uh, do it. But as far as uh, coaching changes in the NFL, uh, man, uh, Antoine, a lot going on uh, in the NFL. I uh, want to get your thoughts on certain with the Panthers and the Redskins, two teams that come to mind that you know very well. Yeah, uh, I'll start with the Redskins. Obviously, Ron Rivera ended up getting fired. Was funny enough. After the Redskins beat the Panthers um, on December the 1st, two days later, the Panthers ended up letting them go. And um, I know David Tepper kind of did that. One, uh, he already knew he was going to fire Ron Rivera after the season anyway. And two, just kind of a favor to Ron Rivera as well and give him the opportunity to reset and uh, get his name out there early. And the Redskins ended up pouncing on it. And I definitely think it's going to be a great move for them because you get somebody that has stability there. You get a good family man in Ron Rivera and somebody the players really love playing for. Uh, you can say whatever you want to about the Panthers this year, and uh, the team wasn't very good, but players love Ron Rivera. They still love Ron Rivera to this day, and uh, they play hard for him. They might not, they might not always result in wins, but they definitely uh, enjoy playing for him. And I definitely think uh, the Redskins uh, culture there, there's been a question whether Jay Gruden and uh, – some of the other coaches there, I definitely think it'll be a breath of fresh air there um, in Washington, and I expect them. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Redskins were to finish potentially eight and eight next year, just because that I like I like what I saw out of Haskins. I like what they have uh, on defense there. I said that the draft chase is young for Ohio State, and to get uh, Dwayne Haskins to go west, if they can do that, then they definitely have a good chance to surprise the people this year. Yeah, Antoine, you know, with uh, the Redskins, we're getting ready to move on to the Panthers, but with the Redskins, uh, Bruce Allen is a good friend of Daniel Snyder, and the fact that a lot of those guys have been there for a long time. Um, I'm not anti 
Bruce Allen, I actually liked him, but I think there's a lot of guys. There was, and I hate to use the term dead weight, um, but it's a, I guess the better term is a fresh start. And you look at with, uh, I think there's uh, there are people. I heard this said is true. There are people that think the Redskins are very close to winning, and there are people that think that are, I guess, it's the, depending on your outlook of life. There's a half the half full crowd, or the glass half empty, half full. Um, but I think that they're a lot closer than what people think, and having just a coaching change can make the difference, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, Ron Rivera is bringing his old people in there. Um, some of them from. A lot of them from Carolina um, that he coached with and have relationships with. And I think definitely uh, bringing in Jack Del Rio, the special coordinator, is really going to make a big difference there. You're able to get him, and you have a Chase Young there, who I think is arguably the best player in the draft, the entire draft this year, uh, which I expect to make a lot of his He's from the area, so it would definitely be a home run pick there. Uh, I definitely think that the rest of the competition is really do some things in 2020. Let's talk about, uh, I know Bubba's neck of the woods and your neck of the woods with the, the Panthers. Uh, I'm very happy with the hire of offensive coordinator with Joe Brady from LSU and, of course, Matt Roll being the head coach. Uh, it was one of those things where it's a great hire, I think, um, but I was surprised it was not the the coach I thought that would get the job. And I'm a huge fan of Matt Roll. What do you think? Uh yeah, I, I know David Tepper wanted to make a splash with a uh guy that's coming in that's gonna change things offensive wise and he had the power and rule there. Um so I'm not surprised he one went out the rule and two, he made he hired I mean he ended up get signed them to a long term deal because we're talking about Tepper who was in the Steelers organization. They're known for stability, they're known for not firing their coaches after a short amount of time or after a bad season. And I definitely think that the way they're doing it, this is going to be a long-term thing. This is, going to be, this, this is not going to be something that's short-term. They don't expect the Panthers to just go from 5-11 and 11 and losing their last eight games in a row to 11-5 uh, and five overnight. I mean, it cer- certainly could happen in the NFL, but they definitely don't believe it. They don't, they don't expect it to. So uh, they signed up to a seven-year deal that for a lot of money. And, yeah, it's going to be one of those things. It seems like it's going to be a rebuilding-type situation, at least in, at least in uh, Rule's first year. And you get somebody like Joe Brady, who's a hot commodity right now, had a lot of success with Joe Burrow, turning his career around at LSU. And we'll see what the quarterback situation brings. Um, I, I don't I think they're going to see if Cam Newton is healthy um, come March. And even if he is, they could or could not part ways with him. But it wouldn't surprise me. Either way, what they decide to do with Cam Newton now, uh, probably my gut is telling me they're probably going to move on, but it would surprise me if they were to keep him and uh, potentially play out the last year of his deal too. Dave, you also uh, want to discuss the uh, the change out in Dallas. Um, you obviously, absolutely, Bubba. <laughs> you obviously had uh, Jason Garrett. Uh, seeing seeing his time with um, the Cowboys. Who he not only um, coached for for so long, but quarterback for back in the day. Um, so you saw that come to an end, and then you have Mike McCarthy, who had a lot of success over the years with Green Bay Packers, coming in. So, what do you think about that move? I think it's a good move for Dallas. They need somebody with head coaching experience there to come in, and um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a great move there. I know a lot. It, the Cowboys took a lot of criticism because of how things ended with 
between McCartney and Aaron Rodgers, but uh, I mean that's one relationship. I mean he, I mean things didn't end great, but you look at the success that McCartney had uh, under Aaron Rodgers. He actually, I mean he groomed, essentially groomed Aaron Rodgers there in Green Bay, even when Brett Favre was there. So you have to credit him for making turning Aaron Rodgers and kind of the quarterback that he was, that he is now today, still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And no matter what friction they had, but he, they still, they had a ton of success winning uh, 10 games, nine times, had a number of division titles and the Super Bowl. And that's something that the Cowboys have not had in a very long time, just having that stability and having a winner there. Um, as far as moving on from Jason Carey, it was obviously they needed to, and they did not live up the expectations this year, uh, coming into last year, his deal, they expected to get to the Super Bowl or at least get close to one. They didn't even make the playoffs, but having McCarthy there and uh, keeping that stability there also uh, with the offensive coordinator, Kelly Moore, I definitely think it would surprise me the Cowboys were to end up making the playoffs once again. It's going to be interesting in the NFC East next year. I don't know if the, what the Giants are going to do, but I expect the Redskins to be better. Uh, the Eagles are definitely certain, still going to be there. Uh, they end up having a half-broken team, and they still end up making the playoffs there. And you still you got to have the talent with the Cowboys. And I was already pointed out the Redskins, and uh, my belief is I definitely think they're going to start to turn things around there. Hey, Antoine, kind of shifting gears to the college ranks. Um, before we talk about some of the head coaching changes down in the Sunshine State, uh, I know the U is a program that you've covered uh, for multiple years, so. I wanted to talk about their uh, offensive coordinator change uh, just after one or after just one season. Excuse me, Dan Enos. Uh, he was he was dismissed, and then you had uh, Gus Malzahn, disciple Rhett Lashley, coming in, and and uh, and now uh, here in the last couple of days, the news broke that Derek King, who uh, made made use of that uh, four game redshirt rule that was in effect in 2019, um, he hung up the cleats um, for the season at Houston and now will be concluding his collegiate career at Miami. Yeah, uh, I'll start out with King. I definitely think that's a great bit for Miami. Uh, yeah, the Hurricanes had a lot of issues last year. The quarterback was among them. Uh, Jaron Williams, uh, who started majority of the way, uh, very inconsistent. But, I mean, he's a he was a registered freshman, so you have to, you know, I, that definitely um, was going to be some growing pains there. But, he definitely did him no favors at the end of the year, losing games to FIU, Duke, and uh, Louisiana Tech. Uh, that's definitely not going to uh, hold you in high esteem of your, your coaches there. So you end up bringing in somebody with some experience in Derek King, and I definitely think it's going to be a, a move that really pays dividends for Miami. Because, look, I mean, Manny Diaz, he's going into his second year with Miami, but um, a lot of people have already put him on the hot seven last year, and if they don't, they come up with a, a subpar season once again. It wouldn't surprise me if they would make a coaching change there. People, would, whether you like it or not, I mean, Miami, their fans expect um, them to compete, uh, win ten games, and compete in the ACC for championships. And obviously, that hasn't happened in a really long time. But that's the expectations that you have with the Hurricanes. There, uh you get a lot of older fans that were spoiled and still remember the glory years of Miami and whether those years come back or not, they still have those expectations of championships and winning a conference. And 
Uh, that's, that's something Miami had done a little while outside of 2017. So, yeah, Manny Diaz understands that. He understands uh, he needed to make a change and got King in there and ended up getting Lastly there as well, which I think is going to be a great move to move to a spread type of offense because that's what it is. Uh, you see a lot of colleges do that these days. I know some of them, some still use a pro-style offense, but um, especially with the, the attributes and the athletes that you have in college football and the way you structure a spread offense and scoring, trying to score as much points as you can, that's usually the way to go. And I definitely think Miami has the athletes there, um, down there, they're able to run a spread offense pretty effectively. Uh, Antoine, up in Tallahassee, you had uh, Willie Taggart lasting less than two seasons, and then they brought in a guy that we're very familiar with coming from the American, and uh, Mike Norvell. So um, what do you think about that move? I know some people wanted to uh, – obviously, they were, some people in Tallahassee wanted uh, Bob just to take over. That didn't happen. But I definitely think Norvell done a good job. He took over for Justin Fonte, uh, who's now at Virginia Tech, and uh, really took uh, Memphis to another level this year. Ended up, you know, as you know, Tigers ended up winning the American Conference, ended up playing in the Cotton Bowl there, and he had a lot of a lot to do with that. So I definitely think it's a good move for Florida State. Uh, he's definitely going to have his hands full there. They, they definitely don't have the talent that Florida State teams are accustomed to having. So um, that's pretty much what it's going to boil down to, him getting that talent and um, creating their dominance like they have down in South Florida. Uh, that's what made Kimbo Fisher successful all those years, trying to take talent away from the University of Miami and also trying to take some talent away from Florida, who's done a great job under Dan Mullen there this first two years with the Gators. So, I mean, it, it, I definitely think I love the hire. I definitely think it's really good for Florida State. And so, it, uh, there's still some ways away, and you're definitely playing the same division as Clemson. So you can't really expect them to go from uh, six and seven to a ten-win season overnight. But um, I definitely think if he's a guy to turn it around, and it wouldn't surprise me if they were to win potentially eight games next year. I mentioned that name, Willie Taggart. Uh, obviously, he was very quickly hired by FAU when Lane Kiffin was named the new coach at Ole Miss. Uh, so. Uh, what do you think of that? Um, I know uh, as I look at it, um, you look at Willie Taggart's record, and it's 56 and 62, but you have to keep in mind that each job he had, Western Kentucky, South Florida, even Oregon and Florida State, it's not like those programs were in great shape when he took over, uh, particularly Western Kentucky and USF. And um, uh, and I think Florida State, um, their offensive line is well documented how much uh, they were struggling. So, um, what do you think about Willie Taggart taking over probably the best situation he's had in, in all those coaching jobs? Yeah, I, I think it's a good job fit for him because he's a guy that's taken over some uh, job bad situations that you alluded to in smaller conferences. And now he goes in, has familiar with the state of Florida, uh, especially a smaller program of FAU. And Lane Kiffin left a really good situation there. And I definitely think uh, it's just, I think, uh Willie Taggart's going to do a really good job there, um, just kind of continue what Lane was able to do there. Uh, I, I know he was ran out of Florida State there. I don't think necessarily was a fit uh, on the field and really off the field, to be completely honest. That's why I think he got let go in less than two seasons there. So, yeah, I definitely think they'll be a little bit more patient with FAU, especially um, considering if he's able to get them to some bowl games, compete for Conference USA Championships, which I, I expect them to do. and. He can maybe 
if he wants to potentially parlay that into something else uh, later on during the few years. But, yeah, I definitely think it's a better fit for him than Florida State was. And lastly, in the American, you had that, that USF job. Um, Willie Taggart, obviously, done a nice job there, moved on to Oregon, and they hired Charlie Strong after he was let go from Texas. Um, but that did not work out, and uh, they – they plucked uh, Jeff Scott, the co-OC at Clemson, uh, Brad Scott's son. Uh, he, he's a, someone who's been at Clemson for uh, 12 years, I think it was, and like I said, co-OC with Tony Elliott. So what, what do you think about uh, that hire? Well, from what I understand, he was their main recruiting guy in the state of Florida and recruited a lot of talent out of there. So USF knows knows that, and they made the hire, and, uh, you're definitely getting a guy that knows the state well. Uh, you put some big recruiters there, got them to go to Clemson. So you, if you can able to do that and keep some talent around the Tampa area, I think I think he'll be able to turn things around relatively quickly. Uh, USF has had a lot of success. Um, I mean, you look at Jim Levitt, he, he did a good job there. He also, we brought up Willie Taggart. I thought he did a really good job there as well. Uh, it, it's something that won't happen overnight, but – uh, you look at what what's going on, on the other side of the state there in Orlando, where UCF there they've done a really good job there. Uh, whether it be under Scott Frost or Josh Heupel, they're continuing that. So yeah, I definitely think he's going to do a really good job there and uh, really turn that thing around pretty quickly, especially with the recruiting ties he has in the area. No doubt about it. When when UCF's been having um, the success they've had in those. UCF administrators and fans are going to be uh, even less patient. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that. Uh, yeah, they. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to ignore what's been going on, especially with the all the success that they had, and even with a down year, uh, UCF window. I mean, they won nine games of the regular season. I definitely think a lot of teams around college football would definitely take that all day. Well, Antoine, it's been great catching up. We certainly appreciate your time, and we'd love to have you back on um, as we move throughout the spring. Um, before we let you go, why don't you tell our listeners where they can uh, where they can follow your work and then where you are on social media. Uh, you find me at Antoine Staley on Twitter. Um, also find my work at Absalon Sports, and also for Carolina Panthers coverage, you can find me at the Riot Report there as well, theriotreport.com. Sounds good. Again, we appreciate the time, and we look forward to having you back on soon. Yeah, no problem. Y'all try to stay there. Thanks. Thanks, Antoine. Appreciate you, man. Thank you very much, Antoine, a great North Carolinian and great pirate, uh, part of Pirate Nation. We love him and a very smart dude when it comes to everything, including this particular case, sports, uh, for sure. And uh, great to have him on. But before we go, I know that you uh, have been working really hard. I want to give you a shout-out. Kudos to you. I uh, appreciate all the people of the baseball program where you see former players, uh, part of our 23 Jungle Tales. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, and we launched our 23 Jungle Tales today, and that series kicked off with Trent Whitehead um, from about 10 years ago, tremendous outfielder for the Pirates. And over the next few days, you'll hear from the likes of uh, left-handed pitcher Ryan Moss, who um, played for East Carolina just here a couple years ago. And, and he was just a tremendous uh, left-handed option out of the pen for Cliff Godwin, and then you also hear from Harrison Eldridge and uh, several others, um, uh, most of which um, are household names and that um, anybody that's fought East Carolina baseball will certainly recognize these names and the contributions they made to the program. 
whether it was in the recent past or uh, maybe 20 or 30 years or maybe even more ago. Yeah, no doubt. It's a lot of fun, and I appreciate the baseball program. Uh, when I say that, because the players, we love Cliff Godwin and everybody associated with the baseball program at East Carolina, period. Uh, but the baseball program, uh, very excited about the upcoming season. It will be interesting to see how we do it. We have a big uh, baseball program, too, that we'll have as far as the hot stove league for the Pirates and a preview, if you will, for North Carolina baseball on the way, too. So if you like baseball, you're uh, definitely at the right place, right, Bubba? Yeah, no doubt. We had a excellent preview for the state of North Carolina. And there's so much great college baseball and, and also high school baseball played in this area. And um, our preview this year will be just as good, if not better, than it was a season ago, so you don't want to miss that. And also, um, you have coming up here and I guess, what, just over a week from now, about a week and a half, the uh, ECU Baseball Banquet on February 1st in the ECU Student Center. And I saw earlier today on social media that there are 30 tickets remaining for that. Yeah, I better get on the ball with that. I got a call this afternoon to get that one eight hundred dollar ECU to get those tickets, or certainly uh, East Carolina baseball tickets and football tickets on the same uh, on sale at the same time. Interesting move this year, by the way, folks. Again, one eight hundred dollar ECU or ECUPirates dot com. And uh, I'll just give you a hint: we got a big promotion. We're going to start next month, and uh, that'll give you an idea of maybe what it's all about. But uh, looking forward to that starting February. So definitely. You don't want to go away from us. You need to stay right here if you look for your chance to win. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, right, Bubba? Yeah, and I think folks will be very surprised with uh, with what we're giving away here in the next uh, few weeks. And I know I really think that uh, it's going to have a huge response. No question about it. All right. Well, appreciate our great guests. We had Rich Phillips, the SMU play-by-play voice. And, of course, we had... Sean Amos, good luck to him in Green Bay in April. And then uh, for the uh, OTAs, and then, of course, uh, how can we not forget our great uh, friend from Athlon Sports, uh, East Carolina alum himself, Antoine Staley, uh, for pretty much everything college and pro football. We've talked about a lot of great things, and, of course, the Pirates. All right, Bubba, do you have anything else before you go? No, so um, I guess the one thing that I would have, um, Pirate Nation, if you're able to get out to Williams Arena on Today evening, uh, 6 o'clock tip-off against Tulane. Like I said, it'll be a critical game, a game that uh, you can certainly make a difference in. Um, you can help push the Pirates over the edge and get either that third or fourth conference win. Hopefully it'll be number four because we'll, that would mean that we took care of business tonight uh, down in Dallas against SMU. No doubt about it. Thank you very much, Bubba, for your hard work. Appreciate you, Kyle, from LaGrange Barber as well. I'm Dave Richmond, and you've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.